if I had to choose one of one person from each season to go to a dinner party with, the answer would be the pair of you. <laughs> most definitely, because it would be the most interesting conversation. I think. I'd just be drunk. We should have an almost winners dinner party, Davina. <laughs> And I'm Ricky, and welcome to Fierce Slay Talk, a decamp podcast where we'll be catching up with some familiar faces from the drag world and beyond, whilst delving deeper into the obstacles life has thrown at them in the journey of becoming fabulous. So shall we begin? It's London's plant-based princess and Drag Race UK season two's Miss Congeniality, making it all the way to the season finale. It is Bimini Bomboulash. Welcome. All right, babes. That's a lovely intro. Thank you very much. <laughs> You're most welcome. <laughs> Glad to have you on Fierce Slay Talk. How are you? Are you keeping well? I'm good. Yeah, this is the first... Well, no, I did one podcast, in like a 20-minute one, but this is my first podcast after the show, so I'm excited. Hey, we're excited to have you. And, you know... Theirs won't be as good as this one, I promise. (laughs) I'm sure of it. I'm sure of it. (laughs) So after the show and during, uh, how have you felt about the hashtag Team Bimini uh, support that you've been receiving? I mean, it's crazy. Like, you don't... It's just, I mean, it's obviously so nice to get that. And obviously my narrative wasn't that I started as strong as it, it progressed into that. So to have that kind of switch in people is just such a such a nice thing because it's like it just shows that for think of all the other people that went home first or like lip sync first episode like you don't it doesn't mean you're a bad entertainer or a bad drag artist just because you end up in the bottom like you can really kind of I feel like a lot of people have missed out I think Drag Race should do an all first outs or like an all yeah an all first out <laughs> season that would be great yeah that's a fantastic idea i think it's been done by people like big brother hasn't it yeah they've done a great idea brought brought people back and whatever but i think that'd be cool like everyone that went out first is like a competing into a season i could be totally into that world of wonder if you're listening i'll take 50 (laughs) percent get that claim in so of course how have you found watching it back then um, so the first couple of weeks, I, I realised that I was always um, very anxious. But as things started getting better, you relax into it a bit more. And it was always that, like, me and my housemates were watching it kind of religiously every Thursday. And it was that um, I would be sat there and it'd get to, like, five past. And everyone's, like, doing their, like, little bits, like, getting their drink. And I'm like, come on, people. Like, <laughs> we've got, like, we're five minutes late. That's it, isn't it? What was the the story that you told people in the meantime, of course, while you're waiting for the release uh, of the show? I mean, there was always that like wink, wink, nudge, nudge, and like we had the we, like we're the only season that had such a long break in between. So also we didn't know what was going to happen when we went back. Like we didn't know the story how it was going to progress. All I knew at that point was I made it to episode five. And how was your lockdown? Because of course we got to see you a little bit in that um, in the in you guys during lockdown uh, on BBC iPlayer. Um, how did you find that? Well, I came out to all of my job kind of security gone, and I'd obviously spent a few pounds on the show, so I was also in a position where I was like, oh no. And then luckily Universal Credit came in, and I spent my dull money on a twelve quid chair from Argos, and the rest is history. <laughs> <laughs> nice. 
Is it a nice chair? Is that what you're sitting in? It's lovely. I'm not sat I'm on a leopard print chaise long at the minute, but um, <laughs> that's very bibbity. Yeah. <laughs> but my Argos chair was um, it was it's very good. I actually asked my kind of uh, she's a, a dance teacher. She's got a stripper background and she does incredible choreography on chairs and poles. And I reached out to her to find out what the best ones were because me expecting it to be like super expensive. She was like 12 quid from Argos. Perfect. Perfect. That is exactly what you want. I don't want a 700 pound chair from some theatre. No, I want a 12 pound chair from Argos. Well, I think I'm going to level it up now. And like someone I've spoken to, one of my good friends, they want to stone the entire chair. (gasps) Okay. Don't know what that will do for balance, but it'll look good on. on That's what I'm thinking. I'm like, (laughs) okay. (laughs) I mean, it's defying gravity anyway. Uh, You talked a little bit there about how, like, as you've been watching it, the anxiety levels have decreased a little bit. Are you quite an anxious person? It certainly doesn't seem like that. I'm a passionate person. Okay. I'm a passionate okay. person. And I know, I feel like you do, you do. I, I'm kind of in tune with my emotions a lot. So I can feel anxious and I feel, but I, I can put myself into positions and like throw myself into it. But I do, I do worry sometimes. It's like when you're doing a new routine, you get anxious the first time you do it. And once you've done it a few times, it's easy. It's like riding a bike. But yeah. it's, that, it's that thing of watching yourself on TV you know the story of how it's gone for you. I knew I lip synced first episode against Joe Black, who's an incredible performer and has like a vast history in cabaret and drag. So I was worried about what people would say. Was I deserving of my place in the competition against Joe? Like you have those doubts and you have those thoughts. And I've, I feel like I have a level of self-awareness anyway. So I was always kind of checking in with myself and making sure that I felt good. But Ultimately, it, yeah, it did start decreasing as the show went on. So as you've as you've just sort of said about lip syncing against Joe in that first episode, did that then give you the confidence that you would make it to the end? That you'd manage to, you know, outdo somebody like Joe Black, who, as you say, is an international cabaret star. Did that give you the confidence? No. <laughs> <laughs> Short answer, no. Because I essentially became a backrunner at that point. I was behind everyone else. I'd like just sent obviously Joe Black home, but I was not someone that people were going to see as a threat at that point. Like they'd like, oh, she's not going to last much longer. I'm sure everyone said that. Even probably the producers were thinking it. But I had determination. Like I was like, I'm not. That's not where my story is ending here. Like, and. Looking at it now, I wouldn't have asked for a better better story. I think it, it really played in for me. And it, it, yeah, I think it was meant to happen. Yeah. Most definitely. You had some of the best looks uh, within the competition. How do you feel about the judges' feedback? You must have been really happy with a lot of that. I wasn't happy with it. And also, I think, like, where I'm, the scene I'm from, it's like East London. You can go out and it's very, like... I mean, no one cares about polishedness or it's all about kind of rawness and like that kind of punky fashion. And I think like obviously the faux pas of my tape being on show on the first episode, like would I do that now? No, but like if I was out in East London, no one would care. So obviously when you're on the main stage of Drag Race, it's a completely different critique you're getting. So you've got to take that into consideration. I think that the thing for me with that look is people always think about the tape, but actually... 
I still stand by that that Norwich City look because to me it was about subverting gender politics and it was I was on that main stage as a football hooligan which is something that is very kind of there's a toxic masculinity around that and it's something that has bothered me growing up so this was kind of a two fingers to that it was like taking back control of things that people have said to me when I was growing up and like that football culture and feminizing it and bringing it to the main stage of drag race so Shame about the tape, but I still stand by the look. <laughs> I wasn't even bothered by the tape. I was like, okay, this is really postmodern. We're showing off the inner workings of drag itself. This is what's going on here. And I, you kind of put it on show. And I didn't even fucking notice it. Until they zoomed in, you wouldn't have noticed. No, I would never have seen that. So it... And to me, that stuff, it's not really a big deal. I'm not really that fussed about it anyway as a, as a viewer. I'm always more interested in what it is that you're either trying to say with the outfit or what it is that you're trying to say with your performance. Like, And that's the thing with fashion. And I do understand kind of queens maybe coming from a pageant background wouldn't agree with that or would say that's a critique, that's a faux pas. But I think the scene I'm from, it's kind of, that's that's not really an issue. Yeah, and that's very, I mean, the British scene is absolutely not pageant-led. So in terms of like British drag and that being a critique, I was like, I'm not really sure you understand yeah. what what is happening here in order for you to critique it properly anyway. But OK, fine. <laughs> yeah, it was a strong cast. And I think even like Joe Black's critiques with the Bowie reference, like I got that straight away. And like it's I mean, yeah. It is what it is. It is what it is. I mean, it's a TV show. This is the other thing that we all have to remember. It's a TV show. There's, you know, there's things which are put in there to cause controversy so that we will talk about them. And that's why we love it. Like, that's a big part of why we love it. Um, One of the things that a lot of people have kind of said, and I want to know what your sort of feelings about that are, um, that your drag progressed as the competition went on. Yeah, I think, so I, so obviously, like I said, with the whole story that I had, I wouldn't change it. I had a, a bad week, the second episode where my paint didn't work the way I wanted it to. The look, I mean, that look to me was still strong, like the the, the ca blank canvas and the hair, like that was cool, but it was just a shame that the outfit didn't work. Then it was a design challenge. Then I was doing the devil and then we had the break. I didn't change any of my outfits. Everything was still there. Did I get better makeup wise in those seven months? Probably. I like had seven months like we did, but my outfits didn't change. I think I went back with more confidence. I think I felt a lot more grounded. I'd really took those seven months to kind of assess my position in the show. And I went back hungry. I was like, not that was not where I was going to end my story. Like I wanted to go back and show that I could do it. And I do feel like being in the bottom first week did throw me off my game. No one expects it. Like, anyone walks on the show, they're not thinking they're going to be lip-syncing first episode. So I was like, no. And then I, I felt like the second week threw me off again, confidence-wise. And then it was a design challenge. And again, I love fashion and I love design, but I'm not the best at kind of seam, being a seamstress or anything. So I think there was just, like, kind of clinging on. And then when I came back, it was pop group. That's my bread and butter. I love to do stuff like that and perform and write lyrics and have fun. And I just went back guns blazing. Most definitely. One of my favourite performances of yours and of everyone's uh, is Snatch Game. Um, your Katie Price was exceptional. Uh, can we hear a few seconds of it? Never underestimate the pricey. <laughs> 
Thank you. They cut that. I did definitely say that because that is a, a Katie Price go-to, but that didn't get used. <laughs> has she been in touch? She has, not personally, but she did do a YouTube video um, about it and she did say she wants to work with me. There are people, there are discussions happening, not between the two of us, but... Um, I'm, I'm sure it's going to happen one day. I have a dream with Katie Price where I want to do an editorial with her, high fashion, getting her in like Archive Westwood or like some really cool high fashion brands and doing something that you've never seen Katie Price do or wear, yeah. I think would be iconic. Just don't try and put her in big heels. No. <laughs> Doesn't walk well in them. Like she's stunning standing, isn't she? Like she stands like, oh God, you look amazing. And then she walks and you're like, oh, okay. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's a funny one. But she's like, she obviously had the accident recently where she yeah. was in her wheelchair. And I was, when I was going, I, I almost, but then I was like, no, it's not, it's not a good thing to come in a wheelchair. Like it's just not something that I should probably do. Um, and I just kind of wanted to stay away from gimmicks with that and just kind of go on and do pricey as how... Like, I think with Snatch Game, what you've got to do is you've got to embody the character and obviously love the character, but you've also got to do things that they haven't said maybe, but they could say. And like in the way that they do, and that's what's shocking or that's what's more like interesting and obviously using them as reference, but I think that's how to do a good Snatch Game. Okay, I'm just, I've got my notebook and I'm writing this down right now. <laughs> Another thing I would say is always go with your first choice and don't give it, <laughs> don't give it to someone else. <laughs> now, yeah, well, so you really gave each challenge 100% every single time. Um, was there anything that... Uh, you know, did you perform in any way that really surprised you at how good you were at it? Or was there anything that you would have changed? If I'd have changed it, I would make them, I would say to them, can you please get the, the crew as an audience for the stand-up challenge? Because that was hard. <laughs> like, I've only done stand-up once and doing it to an empty room is like, I would not want that for anyone. Um, yeah. But I think like, I think, I don't know, I think I really just went for it with a lot of it and I I just enjoyed it. That's the most important thing with them. You've got to enjoy it. And if you're enjoying yourself, like that's one thing Rue and Michelle would always say about me is that whenever I would talk, especially with Katie Price or with the stand-up, like because I exuded confidence, it allowed them to relax. Yeah. Fear is like that. People can smell it. So you've just got to really let go and just go for it. Yeah, I'll, I'm writing this down as well. <laughs> but you've done great on your season. <laughs> yeah, I shit my pants the whole way through. <laughs> but you've got to have that as well. You've got to have a bit of like, if you don't feel, I feel like if you don't feel a bit nervous, you go in with like an arrogance or something that you're going to be great. Like you've got to have those feelings of kind of insecurity. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Just not at the detriment of all other feelings. <laughs> There's a balance. You've definitely got to find the balance. Yeah, I didn't do that. So um, was there anything that you would, you know, looking back, apart from uh, the audience thing, because you smashed that, the, the comedy challenge, you smashed that. It was brilliant. Uh, it was really cleverly put together. It was like a clear beginning, middle, end set. Like it made sense. Um 
And that's not really something that you did. So is there anything that you did that you would go back now and go, oh, I, I wish I'd done this? I wish, I think I would, I wish I would probably have um, maybe learned more skills in design. I think like I did go in there kind of winging it with my design, relying on kind of fashion references I had and just piecing it together. And I think I managed to get by both of them. But like, I think they, those were those were the two episodes where I was most out of my comfort zone. So I think that's what I would focus on. I mean, it's the Taylor's oldest time in it. Go on Drag Race, learn to sew. But <laughs> the thing for me is, uh, I talked about this in a, another interview, that I think the expectation on Queens now is so enormous. And like, how old are you? 27. 27. You're a baby. Like, at 27, I had just got, like, my first proper paying job. You know, I just got into a dance company and it was the first time I was earning decent money. So, you know, if I look at that, I'm like, well, could I sew at that point? No, I fucking couldn't. I couldn't sew a bloody thing. Um, and you're supposed to know your history and you're supposed to know music references and you're supposed to know popular culture references. And then you're also supposed to know how to put stuff together and write comedy. And So I think that the expectation is sometimes so vast that it's impossible. But then there's also like the young ones, like Ellie, who was just yeah. go, went in there and could like, was making incredible things that are so, but for me again, it's like not always about precision with an outfit. It's more about an attitude and how you wear it. And like designers that I'm inspired by, like big British ones, the people like Galliano and Westwood and McQueen, who it's not so much about like the hems and everything being so precise. It's all about the way you wear it. So I went in with that and I think I grew up reading magazines and watching runways and fashion and I I know my references when it comes to that, but it was just the execution that I'm like not the most comfortable with. Yeah. But we made it work. But I would say as well, like, I didn't think we would have two design challenges. <laughs> like the first one I got by, I was like, brilliant. And then it was the day, it was the like the week after Snatch Game. And we walked in and I saw all of the unconventional materials and I was like, you've got to be joking me. <laughs> and they all ended up on Sister Sister, so yeah. Ah! <laughs> so, Bimini, in your in your time on the competition, you formed some fantastic relationships. Um, from what we've got to see, I'm sure there's lo lots more conversations as well. If you had to pick someone though that you've spent that time with, who do you think has made the biggest difference to you personally and your experience? None of them really. I don't really like. I'm just no. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. Um, I. Oh, they they are all great like we we were such a good cast and we all got on really really well but I would say like for me like I had a really good relationship with Taste beforehand I had a good relationship with Vastina I think I really connected and grew with Ahura and Ahura immediately I I always feel like I've got a good sense of good judge of character and I knew Ahura right away as soon as words come out of her mouth I knew she had a heart of gold and she wasn't really this kind of vicious person that we were seeing there was a lot more to her on a deeper level and I would say that straight away in my confessionals obviously they don't air that because they don't want to give away the secrets but it was so lovely to see like a horror's story arc happen and people to see the real her and she's someone that inspires me for being so much young, like a few years younger than me 
not too many years younger than me, but a few. But she was like a bit younger and she's got so many good fashion references. She can make her things. She's very inspiring and very confident and also just like a well-rounded. Like she's someone as well that you wouldn't think would be that funny, maybe because if you look at her, because she's a fashion queen, but she killed it. She was funny in the stand-up to me. I thought she was hilarious. Louis Spence, brilliant. When she did the Essex Girl, genius. She just put her all into it and it was so inspiring. Yeah, that was, and I'd said that to her when we, we had her on the pod. I said, like, you kind of boxed yourself in as this, but actually there is so much more going on here. Um, I think that's the thing with drag race and just drag in general is like people put themselves in a box immediately. They'll be like, I'm a fashion queen or I'm a comedy queen or I'm a dancing queen. But it's like I never went in there saying any of that. I just did it all. Yeah, same. <laughs> that's right. Exactly. I mean, I never went in and said I'm a comedy queen, but I won all the comedy challenges. I never went in and said I was a fashion queen but I like people really appreciate my runways so I think like I think what's I think you just got to go in there and be yourself and not try because as soon as you put yourself in a box everyone else does that's it how was it to see everyone the other day for the final for the private screening yeah yeah we didn't get to see everyone but yeah it was lovely to see them all and it was me and Ellie and Tace brought up mums with us and it was like a really sweet experience and we all got COVID tested, like rapid testing and yeah, all of yeah, that of stuff. Course, yeah. But um, it was just nice to get to spend it with my mum because it's the first episode we'd watch together. Oh, really? Yeah, because okay. she's, she's in Norfolk and I'm in London. So we've not, she's been watching it every week. My granddad's been going over. He's 81. So that's amazing that he's been watching it. And they've been loving it. They're very supportive. So it was just nice to spend that final episode with my mum. Talking about the the final episode, you give your younger self some advice in that episode. Um, How do you think that uh, doing Drag Race has changed you as a person? I'd say kind of what I just said about not putting myself in a box. I think like going into drag, when I first started for the first year, I started in 2017. I did it for about a year and it was very much rolling around in East London I mean, not much has changed, but like rolling around and just like getting a few free drink tickets and not really getting paid for what I was doing. And I was I didn't know where my place was in the scene. I didn't know my style. I was kind of finding all of that. And I just finished a degree in journalism and it was kind of that like toss up, like, am I going into journalism or am I going to do what I really want to do, which is drag? And that was that was a turning point in 2000, end of 2018 when I started taking it more seriously and getting actual paid work and started gigging more. And I was like, I can do this. It was like a belief thing, I think. Like, I think what drag has given me is confidence and a belief in myself that I can do it and achieve what I want to if you if I push myself. And it's not like it's e- like you've got to work at it. And like some days are easier than others. But I think... I would like what I would what I've learned is that you can yeah you can do anything you want to do. Do you think you might integrate some of your journalism into your drag at some point? Absolutely. Like it's definitely like everything I I believe that the universe has its answers and everything happens for a reason and there's a reason I did that and it's it's going to it's going to benefit me in the future and I think I've I've got quite a few bits happening right now where it's going to it's gonna help that I have a degree in journalism. 
definitely. It's going to be fantastic to see. Because you guys, I, I liken you guys a lot, actually, together, because you're both quite well-read, quite opinionated, and sort of... I'd imagine, in fact, actually, if I had to choose one of one person from each season to go to a dinner party with, the answer would be the pair of you, <laughs> most definitely, because it would be the most interesting conversation, I I'd think. just be drunk. We <laughs> should have an almost-winners dinner party, Davina. <laughs> That's it. I, th- I got called uh, woke trash, and I think probably <laughs> yeah. Dan Wooten will tell you that you're woke trash pretty soon. Absolutely. So we should we should do the, the non-bind tour, woke trash. Oh my God, woke trash, that's a great one. <laughs> that's good. Someone painting that. Fantastic idea. So we'll get that written down. You, you spoke on the show um, and publicly uh, about being non-binary. Uh, how does it feel to be like part of that conversation at the forefront of such an important um, topic now? I mean, I think what Drag Race has the opportunity to do, because it appeals to a wide audience, it has the opportunity to change people's perceptions of things. And it has that platform where it kind of blurs between mainstream and the underground. And drag was always underground. Like there was always a couple of drag queens that maybe made it like mainstream, but ultimately it's an underground thing. And there's some drag that isn't for everyone. And there's some drag that's a bit more X rated, but I think ultimately drag race has that kind of stepping stone for people to kind of digest it. And it can have these conversations that are really tricky to have at a level that people can understand it. And I think with mine and Ginny's conversation about non-binary, like neither of us went in there with the intention that we were gonna have that conversation. It really did happen organically. And the fact that Drag Race allowed it to go out there was a choice on their part, on BBC's part, but it was a great choice because it allowed people to see two people have conversations about how they feel, their gender identity, and what that's done to them or what that means to them without it being a debate between people. And that's the difficulty with trans and non-binary and gender conversations. Usually it's a debate between two people, one saying it doesn't exist, one saying, well, this is my existence, and it's never fair. Whereas if you hear two people discussing it, people, I think people stepped away from it because they don't have to be non-binary or they don't have to be they can relate to not feeling like they fit in or they can relate to those feelings of vulnerability and it allowed people to kind of empathize almost or kind of understand it a bit so i think it's important that drag race allows those conversations because it really can change people's minds and it was absolutely because of the way that it was framed it was just two people talking about their lived experience rather than somebody saying I don't believe this. This isn't right. You can't be. This is the laws of nature. Biology. Exactly. I mean, there's just so much with that that it's just kind of like, like a lot of those times people say that it's like they've never done anything that goes against nature or anything like that. It's just like, it's just so ridiculous to me. It's like people are just, just admit you're transphobic or admit you're homophobic or like you just don't, like it's just so stupid. Yeah. Good. I'm so glad <laughs> we're all on the same page. It invokes lots of conversation and lots of positive, lots of positive feedback on social media, which must have been really, really good for you, definitely. And and we got to talk to G- to Ginny about you as well. She's obviously uh, had a had a really um, a really um, Im- impactful time with you as well on the competition. Yeah, having that conversation. I love Ginny, and Ginny's like Ginny's someone that's like such a pure soul, and they've got like we just really connected on that level, I think, as well, and like 
I mean, we both <laughs> we both had like yellow mullets. <laughs> <laughs> of course, yeah. And there was this like thing after that conversation, and people were calling it the non-binary mullet. <laughs> like she says, it is that perfect colour, isn't it? That just kind of assumes nothing. It's a very unique individual, and it's happy. And that's what like Ginny haven't Ginny's yeah. conversation about their experience of the colour and why they wear the colour so much. It's just it was beautiful to hear and like. To have that conversation was so good. And I, the amount of messages I was getting from people that like said that it just kind of, it clicked for them that like, there is a lot more to other people's experiences and like, it's not all black and white and what they've what they've seen. Other people can have a different experience to them and that's fine. My biggest thing I always say is you can be whoever you want, do whatever you want, as long as you're not harming anyone. And that's the most important thing. Be kind to people. And just live your life. Like, we, we live by so many rules of society and kind of perceptions of how we should live and how we should look. And we just need to just do what makes us happy. And ultimately, that will progress the entire consciousness of this planet to another place. But right now, we're just so caught up on tiny details that we're just stuck in a rut, I think. Uh, so, be talk about stuck in a place... Norwich is a very particular little part of the country, isn't it? Like, it's right out on a limb. Um, the arsehole of England. <laughs> My sister went to university in Norwich. Um, I have only been uh, once, and that was to pick her up. I thought it was Nottingham. Um, and drove, drove from Carnarvon to Norwich, which is literally diagonally the opposite side of the country to each other. Uh, it took me nine hours to get there. And uh, just before we got home, my exhaust blew up on my car. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'd been driving for about 20 hours by the time we got home. Um, what was it like for you growing up in Norwich? What What is that like? So my, so my dad's from London, my mum's from Scotland. And for some reason in the... <laughs> In the 80s, not so I'm actually from, from a, a small town outside of Norwich called Great Yarmouth. Yeah. And that was like booming in the 80s. It was like yeah. a great place to be. So anyway, I was born there. And then um, it was fine. Like I didn't really experience a lot of queerness at all. Like there was, that was just not a thing for me. I think I did. I was very flamboyant as a child. I, can you believe? And... As I got older and you become more self-aware, you kind of stop those those traits because you're just like doing what society is telling you to do. And when I was in high school, I always knew I was different. I always knew that I was a bit of a weirdo, but you just can't try and fit in. But I always had this thing and actually Detox spoke about it and I heard Detox say it and it made me think, oh, that makes so much sense. It's like you have these feelings of kind of self-doubt or like you there's bigger things for you but you can't express it but you also have an innate a need to attention seek and and like put yourself out there so I was never a wallflower or someone that was quiet I always had to have a say or do things but even if that kind of cost me kind of my feelings or anything like that but when I moved to London, that was when I really was like, wow, there's so much more to it. I remember actually meeting a guy who is now Lily Allen's hairstylist and they travel around the world together. And they were my first queer experience, like not sexual experience, but my first queer awakening when I was about 14 in my hometown. They were outside the cinema. They were like dressed like 
bright blonde hair, leather jacket, loads of chains, fishnets, but they were like, like male presenting, but it was very like androgynous. And I remember being like, like mind blown. And I was like, that's me, but I don't know how to make that me. And it's taken years to get there. But as you, as you get older and you, you find those experiences, it kind of clicks into place. Right, right. So how, how old were you when you started to sort of try to express yourself through drag? Um, when I first moved to London, I was 18. I went out in Soho and that was when I first saw drag queens in a club. And I think it was actually bag of chips on a microphone, like, <laughs> literally. And I remember being like, oh my God, these people are owning the room. Like they're literally just like, people are scared of them. That was when like people were scared of drag queens. Now they're not scared of drag queens anymore. <laughs> but um, I, I, I went out and I remember going out in like, like a 15 pounds blonde wig and like a H&M dress. <clears throat> um, uh, <laughs> and yeah, it was just like a mad experience. And then I didn't start doing drag properly until I was 24. Okay. So there was a big gap. Yeah, 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 definitely. So, for, so you say 24, that'll be your first time on stage, 18, just sort of going out. First time on stage, yeah. 24 years old, entered Lip Sync 1000 at the Glory and got into okay. the final straight away and no one stopped me since. So that's why <laughs> you can blame them. Blame John Sizzle and Johnny Wood. <laughs> But there was a gap, there was a gap because I moved to London, I was experimenting with my gender and I was, it was at a time, it was about 2013, there was like people like, I was meeting all of these amazing kind of nightlife pioneers and realising that like to these people gender doesn't exist, like you can wear what you want, you can dress how you want and it was just really kind of eye opening but comes like coming from a small town, going to the big city, Going out all the time, I got caught up in a lot of drugs and partying and really kind of lost my way for a good couple of years. And I kind of, there was a turning point where I was like, I need to stop or I'm not going to survive. And I went away traveling for about six months and then came back and then started drag. But there was like a real moment where I was like, there's so much more that I have or that I need to do. And all I'm doing is spending three or four nights a week partying and just like getting caught up in it. And I had to stop. Of course, yeah, it sounds definitely sounds like you, um, sounds like the traveling um, helped you, didn't it? Um, you're quite, you're quite a spiritual person anyway. So that one, you would have really enjoyed that, won't you? Yeah, I loved it. It was kind of where I got into like, um, I always knew there was more, I like, I've had experiences when I was younger um, and, I had best friends that I've lost that really taught me a lot about life. And I always feel like there's always reasons that people come into your life at a certain time and people go out of your life at a certain time. But it's about the things that they teach you and that you learn from them. And I've always been kind of, I've always known that there was a higher plane, or always known that there was more to life. But I lost that a bit when I was partying too much. You kind of, you kind of numb all of that. And when I went traveling, I kind of got back into that belief and like I'm not saying every day you you but you have to try and remind yourself to be grateful and that everything that you've got is amazing and things will come to you and be really open and positive and receptive to what the universe has to give you and it's hard sometimes it ain't easy especially when we're busy and you can't even check in with yourself and you're just going 100 miles per hour it's difficult to have five minutes to to do because spiritually you need to take those times, but sometimes you don't have that. So it's always like a thing. 
reverting back to being kind to yourself again. Yeah. Yeah, most definitely. So in terms of Bimini as a character, as a creation, what where's the inspiration from? Is there like a specific time? Is there a specific place? Is there a person? Or is it just an amalgamation of lots of different things? It's all it's so much. I feel like like it's it's that thing about being in a box again. Like I my and I work with like my best friend who's like kind of create we work and she's just like a superstar and I we really bounce off each other fashion wise and references and what we we realized is like that my aesthetic is that there is no aesthetic like it's always going to change and there's never like you know like it's always yeah there's always going to pull references from new things and through history and like I love doing that and I love like we're really working to kind of keep leveling up and pushing that and pushing that so I think like I always say my favourite kind of aesthetic is like a bimbo with a brain. Like Pamela Anderson, total sex symbol, really owns her femininity, but then she's like fighting for social justice and for animals and like really using it for a really good way. And that's why I was inspired for Katie Price as well, because she's someone that was vilified in the media and she's kind of like seen as like low brow and like she's not seen as someone that's like, but then she's actually, she was a really intelligent businesswoman and she kind of milked the world for everything it was worth and was really, really successful. And then the media tore her down because the media don't like strong women or women that are at the top of their game. And it's like the, it happens all the time. Like it's, it's such a horrible part of the British media that we have, like tabloid culture is to bring down strong women. And that's, that's where I find inspiration. I find inspiration from people like that and, and people that have been wrong. Princess Diana, massive inspiration. Love Princess Di. Like, <laughs> and like the things that she did. Like, yeah, I think there's, yeah, there's kind of no right one person. It's just kind of everywhere. That's it. So we've got a few questions um, for you that people have posted for us online. Ellen wants to know, what was your inspo for your iconic UK Hun lyrics? Um, What was my inspo for that? So we didn't have a lot of time to write and... I went in there with, I actually went in back into Drag Race with a verse and I didn't use it because <laughs> I kind of like heard the beat, heard the music. I actually originally rewrote the entire UK Hun song because when I heard the lyrics, I was like, oh, surely they're not going to get us to sing Bing Bang Bong, Sing Sang Song. <laughs> <laughs> and it turns out when I had like this whole new song there, they were like, why have you got a whole new song? Like, that's the lyrics. I was like, right, okay. <laughs> You basically had 14 seconds. It was something like 14 seconds. And when you hear the song, I don't know if it's the same for you, Davina, when you heard the Frock Destroyers, but it's like in simile. And like, you don't hear what they're saying. It's like, and like, you're just kind of like, okay, that's the beat. That's what you got to do. And there was no real like inspo. It was just kind of, I wanted it to be punchy. I wanted it to be pun like full of punchlines and also kind of metaphors and double meanings and like I think that's when it's like rap music or like music like that that's where what it all comes from so I tried to just like make it kind of memorable uh Mrs M wants to know if the UK was to get a celebrity drag race what celebs would you like to give a drag makeover to oh oh my goodness I would love to give a makeover to Vivian Westwood <laughs> I think like I would love to get get her face and 
paint it, it would just be iconic. Um, who else would be really, really good? Ah, oh, um, obviously Kate Moss. I'd love to do Kate Moss just because I, I just want to meet Kate Moss. Um, and yes, I have actually met Kate Moss. Have you? I did. I met her in um, Amnesia in Ibiza. Oh, amazing. Yeah. She was like, oh, hi. Oh, hi. <laughs> yeah. With like a fag in her mouth. Yeah. <laughs> she is actually that beautiful. I bet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She, like, you know, it's not just camera trickery. That person standing in front of me was unbelievably beautiful. Like, I imagine. And she's what I love about Kate Moss is that she's just like a proper London girl. Yeah. Like, she's just, like, from Croydon, and she's just, like, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so, Rico wants to know, will you teach us some yoga or pole classes online? Um, there was someone that actually approached me. I, I haven't been able to do pole a lot recently because I don't have the space, and all everywhere's been shut, so it's been quite unfortunate. Um, but, yeah, yoga, I mean, I've not, I've not taught a class in a while. I actually stopped bef- about five months before... No, in 2019, I stopped teaching yoga. But I still do my own practice, but not as much. Maybe I'll do a drag yoga class. I'm sure someone will want to do that. Yeah, I keep meaning to start doing yoga every day. And then instead, I just lie in bed. Well, that's that's you just like corpse pose. <laughs> I'm not in that. I'm more in the recovery position. <laughs> Well, um, I think you can you can get into yoga. I think your your body would be good for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've done it before, and Pilates was really my kind of thing. You know, get the core strength in there, and mainly because you know there's been a lot of action around the back, so you've got to keep that <laughs> working. Haven't you? Brooke wants to know what would be your who would be your dream collaboration. I'd love to work in fashion. I'd love to walk and work with Vivian Westwood. I would love to, musically, I would love to collaborate with Lily Allen. I think we could, like, do something really cool in terms of, like, social commentary and kind of being witty and sarcastic. Um, like, there's, I don't know, it's always changing. I always feel like Ariana Grande followed me the other day, so maybe Ariana Grande would be a great collaboration <laughs> to do. Fuming. Someone on Twitter was like, you know Ariana follows you? I was like, what? And went on there and she did. <laughs> Uh, Mia would like to know, how did it feel filming different finals uh, for the end? I always find that question hard because I'm like, do people know that? <laughs> I'm like, well, obviously they do. Um, so my my name starts with B. And so after me was Lawrence. So I had to do mine first. So it was a bit more real. When we had to do Lawrence's and Tase's, it was kind of like acting. Whereas mine was actually like, this is my moment. <laughs> Okay, yeah, yeah, I can see that. I think they pressed play on the wrong video, but whatever. <laughs> what did you say? What did you say in your acceptance? Um, I can't I can't exactly remember. I think I was just like, loving it, thank you so much, blah, blah, blah. I remember Taste said beans on toast, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. I think I was, a more, I was a bit more earnest, a bit more heartfelt, and then it got to Taste, and she was just like, beans on toast! <laughs> Oh, that great. <laughs> Lauren wants to know, are you planning on having any drag children? Oh, I'm barren. I, I'm not having them. <laughs> I'm barren. I'll be a, I'll be a stepmom. 
I'll be like a drag stepmom, but I don't think I can have children, no. I wouldn't be able to go to my yoga and Pilates. We need to, we want to know what the future holds for Bimini. There's been lots of stuff as we've seen on Twitter. I saw you post yesterday, there's an announcement coming up. Are you, this will be out later. So can you tell us what that is or? So I will announce, I have a book deal coming out where it's kind of a self-love manifesto, but in like a punky anti-self-love way. Not anti-self-love, but I mean like when you read like self-help books or self-love books, they're all like telling you what to do and making you feel bad if you don't do them. This is completely the anti of that. Like, and it's, it's just kind of my experiences, what I've done. It's not an autobiography. It's more just kind of like my take on life and the icons that have shaped me and people that went against conventions and a bit about gender theory is going to be in there as well. My experiences as a non-binary person. So that's really exciting. Um, I've also signed with Next Modeling Agency, which is a kind of big model scouts. They So they've reached out and they actually want to put me, so I'm going to be on their women's board instead of special bookings. They want to push me as an actual five foot seven model, so <laughs> which is mad. So yeah, there's lots of exciting stuff. And I've got music as well that I've been working on. Yeah, I'm excited to hear the music. I'm really excited to get the music out there. It's taken a bit longer than I expected, but yeah. everything happens for a reason and there's yeah. there's there's things that have got to be done, but the music is from a real kind of raw place and it's kind of really I'm really excited for people to hear it because it's my experiences again. It's it's but in a in a good in a in a way that's kind of like really uplifting and kind of mocking the people that mocked me. So that we can keep up to date with everything else that's coming up, because I'm sure that there is going to be more in the pipeline very soon. Uh, where can people find you? What are all your socials? So obviously my Instagram is at Bimney Babes. That's the same on Twitter as well. I'm not on TikTok yet. I need to get on TikTok. I don't really know how to use it. It's a bit like I posted one video on there and they deleted it. So... They obviously didn't want me on there. Um, but I, there's going to be lots of tours and gigs coming up, which I'm really excited for this summer. I think we're just going to have like a summer of love and we've just got to try and enjoy it as much as we can. Get tickets to see the dolls. Get tickets to see all drag artists. Remember, like, 2009, uh, 2020 wasn't a great year for the drag scene in general. And we, as people with a platform, we need to lift uplift others and we need to kind of keep them working and getting that money so get go see your kings go see your queens see the local bars and see what's going on and just try and enjoy this summer as much as we can i think gorgeous what a lovely time chatting with you thank you so much Bimini! thank you for having thank me thank you you're a star well we have come to the end of the episode this has been fierce slay talk you can join us on our journey by following us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at Talk. And thank you so much for tuning in and listening to us going on. We could talk for hours. And if you enjoyed the show, let your friends know. Go on, spread the word. Be sure to review the podcast as well. Till next time. You want it. You got it. I won't hold back. Come snatch it. Come take it. All yours right off the rack. No wanting, no waiting. You shake me down. You touch it. You taste it. Come
come take me here and now. Fry it and buy at the top of the stack. Bag it and snag it, no need to attack. Instant and present hit, go on playback. Right now, right now. Take it and tame it, walk me to the door. Have it and hold it, you only want more. Live it and love it, you've got it, it's yours. Right now, right now.